good power this evening. Well, we want to welcome you. Again, just taking a moment to say, you know, that you've made it here this evening. We want you to know that we're so glad for that, and we're longing that tonight God would make that real for you, that there would be a sense of His work and faithfulness in you, drawing you to the things that He has for you in just a fresh and refreshing way. For those who are going to be making their way back right now for the Bible Explorers or the Mid-High, we want to dismiss you guys. And as you make your way back, just longing and asking for God to just to meet you, each one, just in His strength, showing you things He has for you, longing that it would be so. Well, with that in mind, we long that God would meet each of us, and so we want to take a couple moments and pray for each other. So if you got grabbed one of those prayer request cards that were available when you came in and filled them out at the door, would you now pass those towards the center aisle? Pastor Phil's going to come by, gather uh, those prayer cards that you guys have, and then we're going to take a few moments to go before God and to lay those before Him and ask for His good pleasure and His power. Now, we want to reach out to you guys who are joining us online and say the same invitation is for you. We want you to be a part of this, and a couple ways that can happen is, one, if you have a prayer request, you can submit it. Easiest way is if you have Gala's text number, text it to Gala, she'll get it to us. Or you can comment on Facebook or YouTube. We'll do our best to gather from there as well, and if we get those in time, we'll include them in this prayer time. But we also just want to invite you to pray with us. In fact, that invitation is for all those online, but also to everyone in this room. You guys know how this works. It's a continual reminder, but one of those ones that probably is always needed because it just will happen. If you're not very intentional about it, your mind's going to wander right now. You might listen, you might think, or your mind might go somewhere entirely different, but we're inviting you to actually pray. Meaning as we pray, we want you to pray. So as we're laying these requests before God, we're hoping you would just echo those. Now, it could be incredibly simple. You might just want to say, Lord, me too. Same thing. I'm, I'm echoing that quietly. You might want to say very specific, oh yeah, and do this and this and this, Lord, for them. That would be an amazing thing that you would do. At the same moment, there might be other things that you want to lay down before him. We invite you to do that, laying all your requests before him and longing that God would meet us in a way that draws us into his power and strength. So with that invitation, let's go before him right now. God, thank you. Thank you for you. Thank you that you're God. And then thank you that you've allowed and created access where we get to come and cast all of our cares upon you, where we get to come and pray. God, help us not to miss that. Give us strength. Give us ability right now to be able to articulate, to be able to lay these requests before you. And God, would you work in might and power and strength right now as we look to you as our faithful God. Father, we join with this request for a friend. And we want to lift up specifically just a friend named John and and for his salvation. Lord, you know where he is right now. You know the things going on uh, in his life. You know uh, just the darkness that surrounds him. And we just would pray, Father, that your light would break through. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would draw and, and lead him to Christ and cause him, Lord, just to place his his hope, his, his, his faith in you, Lord. And so we pray for John and just ask God that you would lead him to salvation. Father, we want to join just the Borbis family tonight, and we want to pray for Nathan. Uh, Lord, as they've kind of seen doctors, even visiting some today, and just trying to figure out things that are happening, looking for a treatment plan, just asking that you would be with them as they navigate a complex and just difficult season. 
God, would your hand be strong in that? Would you lead them? Would you guide the things that you have in store for that? Would you work that which you have good and pray for that? And then we just pray for the family. Just pray for peace upon each of them, that it would just be there, that you would give them rest, that you would give them comfort and just work in the midst of the season as we just bring the Borbus family before you together. Father, we join with Ann Osborne this evening and just uh, bring her request before you as she is having a bout with diverticulitis right now. Lord, you see all that's going on there and you see her condition and we just would pray for her, Lord, that your healing hand would be extended to her or that you would draw her near to yourself and Lord, you would cause her to recover quickly from this. We would just uh, also pray, Lord, just for wisdom and help in this, Lord, if she's seeing uh, doctors or physicians, Lord, what, whatever the treatment plan is there, we would pray for that as well for wisdom. But ultimately, Lord, we just ask for your hand of healing to be extended to Miss Ann, Lord. Father, we join Doug tonight, and he just begins with an unspoken prayer request uh, just for healing and restoration. Lord, just crying out for that and just asking from things that, that you see. And Lord, you understand all that's in the midst of that. You understand the situations that are just on Doug's heart right now. And we ask that you would work. God, you're a God who sees it and works. You're a healing God. You're a faithful God. You're an able God. We believe that, and we just cry out for your work. We ask for you to show yourself strong. Please, Lord, we bring this before you and look to you as a faithful God. We join with Kevin this evening, and we lift his requests before you, Lord. We begin by just praying for the salvation for both uh, he and, and Kathy's uh, unsaved family, we just would, would cry out for those both near and far, Lord, and, and ask God that you would draw them to salvation. We pray for the marriage of Eloisa and Samuel and, and just cry out to you for them, Lord, just asking that you would work and intervene in their lives, Lord, and show yourself strong. We pray for Kevin's grandson, Kevin, and, and for his walk with you, Lord. We just uh, long to see him strengthened and, and uh, walking in the power and the fullness of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And then we join Kevin praying for the salvation of, of the Cloud, the Myers, the Garcia, and the McGill families, Lord. Just each one that you would work in each of these homes and each of these families, Lord, just drawing members to yourself. And then joining Kevin praying for our nation, Lord, just longing to see revival break out and, and longing to see your word just spread throughout our land, Lord, and, and that we would turn to you and, Lord, that you would save and heal our land. Father, we continue praying with Kevin, just praying for Tyler, praying for Kirk, praying from John, uh, from AMCC, and just looking at each of these situations right now and saying, God, heal. We look to you as a God who understands and, and cares, and we ask for your work, and we ask for your touch at this very moment. God, we also join and just pray for James and Geraldine and, and just for your work and them this evening as we just long to see you just working in, in both in practical but just spiritual and emotional and just physical heal. Lord, cause your work to take place and just your favor to be known upon them. Then we join Kevin praying for Kathy, just asking for wisdom, praying for guidance, that you would show yourself strong and the one who is at work in, the, in these times, just your plan, Lord, what you have. And Lord, as we ask for all of this, we just join Kevin in saying, God, as we lay these before you, we just want to praise you because you are a God who's faithful. You are a God who's strong and gives strength. And we ask just for that, but trust all of this right now into your good care. 
Father, we join with Monica this evening, and you know all that is going on in, in her life and swirling around her family, and we just would ask God that you would strengthen, Lord. Uh, she writes here just prayers for brighter days, Lord, that you would bring hope, that you would bring your light into their situation, Lord, that you would intervene, Lord, that she would be able just to trust you and, and know that you are uh, charting a course for her, that they would have the confidence in you and the faith that they'll get through this, uh, this storm. And in the midst of this, Lord, that you would strengthen them uh, and, and cause her to have hope and to be optimistic about the, the things that you are doing in her life, Lord. And, and she writes here just to be, to be brave and of courage. And we just agree and, and ask God that you would just empower by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would, you would draw near and just bring hope, Lord. We join Gala tonight and just praying for our friend Chris, uh, whose mom passed away today. Uh, Lord, we just want to pray. Uh, we want to pray just for comfort. We want to pray for work in this. And yet, really, as we're looking at this, recognizing he's not a believer. And, and Lord, just facing death, facing all that's there, God, we pray that you would use this to awaken him to his spiritual state. We pray that you would draw him to you, to the God who is the God who deals with death and rescues. And Lord, we ask for that right now. We're praying Again, your comfort, we just we, we recognize the, the need there, but the comfort that would draw him and those around him to you. And we trust you in that right now. Father, we join with Kirk and Debbie this evening and just think about what a, a, a difficult road it has been physically for both of them, really. And we bring Kirk before you right now as his heart is just uh, out of rhythm right now. And uh, tomorrow there's a, a procedure that is scheduled for eight in the morning to shock his heart back into rhythm, and we just would pray for that procedure. Lord, just asking that you would go before, that you would cause this to be successful, or that you would watch over uh, all that goes on, that you would grant wisdom and help, and, and Lord, that you would bring his heart back into a proper rhythm, Lord. At the same moment, Lord, Debbie is, is struggling with, with her health and just not feeling well right now with all of the wind and the allergies and, and sinus issues and so we would pray for Debbie, Lord, just that your hand would be extended to her as well, Lord, that you would bring healing to her, you would bring relief to her, that she would be able just to, uh, to be fully focused uh, just on this whole situation with Kirk, and, and Lord, just the, the two of them, Lord, you would touch both of them. Father, we want to join uh, Liz Marley Hollingsworth and just ask right now, uh, Lord, just first of all, for just prayer for issues regarding a resolution for the twins. And Lord, just asking your hand. Lord, we thank you for your favor. We thank you for the good you have done. But Lord, come through. We just ask that you would work all the details together, that you would show yourself both so caring, that God who is that Father who is working in the midst of this. And we just trust you and ask for a display and just a power of your work there. We also want to come and just pray for a teenager. Frank, who has recently been diagnosed with mental illness and is undergoing intensive therapy. And God, we just ask your help. We ask that you would be there. You're a God who, who is at work, who understands. And, and Lord, we just trust you, but ask for your work in this. Then we want to pray for John Robert Montgomery, uh, who's an elderly man, who's in a coma with COVID and not likely to survive. God, you know, but we just join right this right now and cry out for this. We ask for your healing, your rescue, your touch in this, trusting it to you. But glad we can. Glad we can come and ask for your work right now. 
Father, we join with Mary McClure this evening, and as she has just had a, a very difficult couple of days, Lord, not feeling well at all, and uh, I understand that she received some antibiotics today and is on the road to recovery, and, and uh, Lord, we would just ask that you would cause her to make a complete recovery, that it would be a quick recovery, that you would uh, extend your hand of healing to her and um, just strengthen her in every way, physically, emotionally, spiritually, Lord, let her know that you are near her even now. Father, we join Amy Ashton as she also is just praying for healing for Debbie and, and for Kirk, praying for strength as he has this appointment tomorrow. Lord, asking for your hand in all of these things. Lord, then just as she just prays for both Pastor Phil and I, Lord, that you would just bless and protect him. We certainly ask for that and recognize great need of your strength and your power. Then we join her in just praying for our city, our, our country, our state. Lord, that you would help us in a very difficult time. You are the answer that we need. And, and Lord, just crying out for an awakening, crying out for your work in the midst of this. And then we pray for Phyllis Shepherd, who has terminal cancer. And God, you know, help, heal, guide, touch, comfort, work in the midst of this. We trust you in that. And then Amy just says that she's laying Joel at your feet just to, to cause his heart, to ravage his heart and draw him to you. God, please, we ask you to do that, that you would just awaken and stir and draw just Joel to you. We ask for your faithfulness in that. Father, we join with Charles and Jeannie this evening, Lord, and just want to bring their request before you. First of all, Lord, we just pray for continued healing for Jeannie, Lord, just that you would bring her all the way through this. We pray, Father, that your, your hand of mercy would be extended to her, Lord, that you would grant healing, that you would cause her just to fully recover and, and, and cause her just physically to be made whole. And then joining, Lord, praying for finances. Lord, you know. You know the needs. You see the concerns. You know all that's there, Lord. We just would pray, Father, for your supply, for your provision in all of these things, Lord, just for your blessing. And then finally joining them, Lord, with an unspoken request and the beautiful thing, as we often say, is that you know, uh, though I don't know specifics, I don't know anything about this, Lord, you see it, you know what's exactly on their hearts right now and what we're agreeing in prayer for. So, Lord, I'm just praying that whatever the situation is, that you would work mightily in your power. Father, we join this unnamed request just praying right now that, God, you would rem remember and heal just we think about just our brothers and sisters who are in so need of your healing. And we've prayed for many of them tonight and yet recognize there is more. And you understand. God, we then just thank you. We thank you for, for the reality that you are the one who has overcome. You have overcome the world. And Lord, in that there is power. In that there is hope. May you meet us and just draw us after you in that. God, we, we do pray that you would work now by your Holy Spirit to help us to become obedient, to, to say yes to you, to walk in your ways, because those are the best ways. God, we pray for that, and for that, we pray for repentance. We pray for revival, that you would do a work across our land, you do a work in, in, in our world, but you would do a work in us, and just drawing and reviving and bringing each of us to you. And Father, we come with Cindy Paro tonight, and she would just like to thank you. And, and thank you, Lord, for, for people who are praying. And, and specifically, Lord, she just wants to thank you for, uh, for stirring everyone 
who prayed for her stepsister who's been on our prayer chain, Lord, and we, we do. Lord, we thank you that, that you've given us this privilege uh, of coming before you, this access of coming before you, of, of casting every care at your feet because you care for us. So, Lord, we do. We thank you so much for the place of prayer and for stirring your people, Lord, to pray. Father, we think about just the ability we have to lay these requests before you, to trust you with all that there is. And it's a good thing to be able to do that, to take these that have been very specifically laid before us. Lord, we look to you as a God who would answer and show just the reality of your work and your faithfulness, believing it's there, but asking for it. God, I'm glad. I'm glad to be able to look to you because none of us could handle even just the things that we've heard this evening much less than all the things that you see in this room right now. But God, you can. And so we pray for all that we've laid before you and everything else that's here present, that you see, you already know. We pray for your work, your will, your strength. God, would you meet your people in power? And we're glad to trust you with all that this is because you are a trustworthy God and you are an able God. May you show yourself strong in our lives. We ask for it right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, tonight we are in Proverbs. We are picking up Proverbs chapter 10, and we're hoping to make our way into Proverbs chapter 11. So you can open up a Bible if you want to do that, but we also want to highlight to you guys again that we're using in the book of Proverbs very specifically these little booklets that we've printed out. Simply put, it's got the entire chapter of of both Proverbs 10 and one of them, Proverbs 11 and the other, We've made our way about two-thirds of the way through chapter 10, so we're going to finish this up and hopefully make our way into 11. So again, if you want to use these booklets, you're welcome to do that in a way that will let you follow along and highlight and underline and, and, and work in the midst of that. For you guys who are joining us online, we want to just let you know that those are available as well. You can go to our website and, and under, our, under messages, you can go to the download little link there and you would be able to download those booklets so you could join us in this and we would love to have you do that so that you could join us again in a way that we want to navigate through this. Proverbs is challenging in, in many ways and one of the reasons we're using these booklets is because each verse in that sense is specific, each one is individual. So as we're getting ready to dive in, I wanted to give you a quick reminder and then we're going to pray and ask God to show us things. But we think about what's here before us and, and one of the things we're wanting to do with the booklets is to allow you to, to maybe underline or circle, however that would work for you so that you could help see kind of the contrast, the beauty. Proverbs is a book that is kind of a poetic, uh, just rhyming of thoughts and words. So we've had a little legend that we've used the last couple week, couple times in it. I just want to quickly remind you what I'm going to do here, but tell you again, you don't have to use this. You can use any format you want, but if you want to use what I'm going to use, I'm going to go, you know, look at this and kind of say, okay, we're going to use like a circle for something that's good, that's the focus of something that was good, and then an underline right next to it for that which is the, the flow out of it. I'm going to use colors green so it's easier on the screen. We'll use red, kind of green for good, red for bad. You know, the, the box for, for the red will be the bad cause or focus with a red line after it that will be kind of the flow of it. We'll use a little blue kind of marker of it where we look at a contrast where oftentimes the proverb splits and then where we can find it. Well, there's some proverbs that just highlight God's character. 
and, and we'll use purple or kind of an odd shape around that. Now, once more, all of that is just an opportunity for you to say, hey, you could try to follow it along so you could see it, so you could feel it. Now, you could use an entirely different kind of scheme of underlining or not even use it at all, but the goal is that hopefully you'll see it because Proverbs lands for us in a way that almost just showers us with wisdom with truth, but it's random in some ways. I mean, there's a definite connection through some of it. We're talking about righteousness, wickedness, and wisdom and folly, but it's all over it. And the way it's going to land for you this evening is hopefully much of what we talk about, you'll just say, true, (laughs) that's true. And it will just land for you as something that's good. But I'm hoping in the midst of it that at least one of these Proverbs would just jump out, like that's the nugget you needed. Like maybe you knew it was true, maybe you've drifted from it, maybe you just need to navigate back towards that. We're just longing that God would take truth and reorient your life with it. So let's take a moment and pray for that. Let's ask that God would just meet us and show us things, causing His you know, wisdom just to wash over us, but in the midst of it, what you need to hear this evening that would be reorienting, that would be drawing you to what he has for you, that he would help you to hear that. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for all of it, knowing that all of it is good and needed. Thank you for the book of Proverbs, a very different section in the Bible that sometimes is interesting to read, hard to follow at times because it's just back and forth, and yet, Lord, believing you gave it to us on purpose exactly as you gave it to us. Help us to hear it. Help us to hear it. Lord, where these things are already just truths that we believe and just needed to be reminded of, help them to be that. But Lord, where we've drifted, where our course is not oriented towards righteousness or truth, would you allow this just to correct? And I'm just asking for each one of us that you'd help us to hear in such a way that all of it is understood but one thing, maybe even one of these Proverbs, jumps off the page. And we'd find ourselves saying, that's what I needed. That's speaking into my world right now. Would you help that to be so for each one of us? I ask for it right now, and I ask for it, just in your great power, that you would work that in each one of our lives right now. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God has thoughts that are good, that would want good in your life today. One of my favorite verses that many of you guys know there in uh, Jeremiah 29 says, God says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God looks at his people. He says, I know what I'm thinking. I know the thoughts that I have for you. And he spoke this as they were journeying into some really hard spaces, where they were heading into captivity, if you understand some of that background. And God says, I know what I'm doing, and I know why I'm doing it. I know why I'm allowing it, and I need you to understand something. What I want for you is good. And I'm, and I'm thinking past just this present moment, past just the you know, experience of today into the big picture, because I see something. It's to bring you into a future. It's to bring you to an incredible hope. And that power rolls in across our lives. And some of the Proverbs that we speak of tonight, it draws us to this understanding where God would cause you and I to see past the present 
into the future hope, into the thoughts that God says he has for you. In fact, that's where we start as we join in chapter 10 there in verse 24, where the proverb simply says it this way. He says, the fear of the wicked will come upon him and the desire of the righteous will be granted. So again, kind of trying to follow the logic, you want to see the way it works, so we'll begin by just noticing that he highlights that which is the bad, the source or the cause of it, and he says it's the wicked. He says it's the, 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 those who are that, or really the fear of the wicked. You could either just kind of put a box around the wicked or the whole thing, but it is those who are wicked and their fear. He says the fear of the wicked, it's going to come. What they are afraid of is going to happen in their lives. And at the same moment, at the same time, again, not really a contrast, but both of these things are coming. He says, for the righteous, those who have a right standing with God, who have this righteousness with God, their desires, the desire of the righteous, he says, is going to be granted. So it's a pretty incredible proverb, but one of the challenges for the book of Proverbs is not only to see, okay, there's a, there's a bad thing that's being contrasted with a good thing. There's, you know, the fear of the wicked contrasted with the desire of the righteous, but in some ways it's to see what it is, because it's not always, you know, just equal kind of thoughts where you would think, okay, this obviously is the opposite of that. Sometimes the contrast that God makes is a pretty incredible one. In fact, you might just notice it. For starters, obviously it is a contrast between the wicked, those whom God would say they are wicked, and he looks upon the world that is that, and the righteous. Who's the righteous? Very simply, the Bible's really clear. The only way we're made right is by Jesus. The only, the righteousness of God is revealed in, 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 the, in the Bible so that we could be made right with God by the gospel, by the power of the, of the good things of God. And so we're contrasting those who have been made right with God through Christ and the rest of the world. Those who are, in that sense, God looks and says they're wicked. They, they, they are this, they're sinners that are, you know, outside of that. He says, in this, we want to contrast not only the wicked and the righteous, but we want to contrast the fear of the wicked and the desire of the righteous. We want to contrast the fear of the wicked and the, and the righteousness of the desire. And he says, one of them, you know, he says, is going to come upon him. The fear of the wicked is going to come upon him, but the desires of the righteous will be granted. Again, now maybe that just makes sense. Maybe I'm spending more time than I need to, but let me just say it as clearly as I can. If you're here this evening, or you're in our overflow, or you're online right now, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you have not been made right with God through Christ, here's the deal. Everything you're afraid of, everything that causes you fear, it is coming. <laughs> it's not a sense of, of being unkind or, or in one sense to try to you know, scare you into to Christ, but it is a reality that that which is coming is worse than anything you've ever believed. The greatest fears that we have that really flow into loneliness and emptiness and brokenness, that's the road that's in front of you. That's the road in, that's in front of you is this place that all of those fears, they're, they're real fears, and, and they're coming. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have been made right with God in Christ, can I say it this way? The things that you're afraid of, they're not there. In fact, not only are they not there, not only does the Bible tell us that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, that fears are gone. Instead of even focusing on that, he says, the things that you really desire, the good desires you have, the things that are God-implanted desires, they're all coming. They're all coming. 
Heaven is going to be better than anything you've ever imagined. This incredible hope that is ours, it's going to be granted to us. It's grace upon us. It's not something we're earning, but it's actually coming. And I can't tell you how incredible this is. If you could look across it right now, this is one of those Proverbs that really does separate humanity into two groups those that know God through Jesus and those that don't. And all of you who know God is through Christ, it's as if to say, you have no idea how good it is coming. You have a hope that is beyond anything you could ever imagine. And the fears you have, they are empty. They're all going to go away. They're all going to go away. But if you don't know God, and you're not made right with God in Christ, the fears you have are all coming. Any desires you have for good, those are empty. That's not coming. In fact, he'll say that more in another proverb in a moment. But there is a reality of recognizing what this is. And there's something here that just draws us to recognize those realities. And my hope is that most of you this evening find yourself on this second category. You say, okay, the desire of the righteous will be granted there are desires inside you, things that you long for, things that God has implanted in you that he just wants to speak to you right now and say, those aren't empty desires. I I think about it this way. I think about that famous quote from C.S. Lewis where he simply said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, it is the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. He says, I find things inside me I find these desires that nothing in this world fills, that, that there's, there's nothing here that, that is there, and it's, and it's this something that's telling me I'm made for something. I, I'm made for this, and God just says, hey, those are coming. That the, the good things, not the evil things, those are all going to be washed away. Desires for fullness and completion and, and never being alone and fullness of joy, it's all coming. And, and with incredible reality, it just kind of speaks to us to tell us Hey, do we see it? Do we see that this future and a hope that is ours? Because it's beyond description amazing. It's beyond description just incredibly wonderful. Wow. We'll hold that. More to say on that as we continue through this, but the next proverb continues. It says, When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. So the contrast, again, is this contrast between the wicked and where they are. This is when a whirlwind passes by, when the world explodes and everything goes bad in their world, it just empties them. There's there's, there's nothing else there. But in contrast to it, the righteous, the one who has this good standing in Christ, we have something that cannot be shaken. We have an everlasting foundation. Jesus perhaps spoke to this in the greatest way when he talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said it this way. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall because it was founded on a rock. Even when the whole world kind of went bad, that, that eternal foundation held them fast through it. But, Jesus says, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Yeah, that's what he's telling us. He says, here's this place, this righteous place where we are. That gives us an everlasting foundation where for the wicked, I mean, 
Both of them can go through hard spaces. Both of us can go through this whirlwind, but then it changes everything. Having that everlasting foundation that would look and say, cannot be shaken. I mean, no matter what this world throws against me, it cannot be shaken, which gives us incredible hope. Well, from there, he goes on to the next proverb. In verse 26, he says, "...is vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes." So is the lazy man to those who sent him. So the focus here is the lazy man. Now, this is a big focus in the book of Proverbs, and it really is a reproach upon someone who would be in that category. And he just gives us a picture of what they're like. He says, it's vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. And he just wants you almost to feel that. Now, maybe again, for some of you, you got the whole vinegar to the teeth thing. It's not as much of a common reality in our world, but probably all of us have the smoke to the eyes thing. Maybe you're around kind of a campfire kind of thing, and you were that one. I mean, you know what it's like. You, know, you ever feel like around the campfire that the smoke just follows you? Like everywhere you go, it's like, I'm going to move to this side. Then boom, it hits you, and your eyes water, and like, ah, and you, you move away from it. He says that that's something that's so just ah, irritating and, and frustrating. He says that's how it is for this lazy man. So is that lazy man to the one who sends him. So disappointing, so frustrating, so just like, ah, just so irritating. Now, that reality flows across our world and definitely calls us to, to, to recognize both the reality of that to sometimes when we deal with things and the call for us not to be such a person, but maybe it's so much more than that. You know, because if I can say it simply this way, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been sent. You've been sent. Uh, Jesus looked at us and he looked at the disciples and says, as the Father has sent me, so I have sent you. You're not in this world by accident. You're not in this world in one sense just to, you know, coast through. He says, you've been sent. Don't be lazy. Don't be that person that isn't saying, okay, God, I want to be the messenger you have. I want to, you know, go to who you send me to and, and to be a part of that. And there's a call in our lives to say, hey, you know, in this world, that's what we want to be. Because we have the message that brings people right with God. We have the hope of that. And he calls you and I to, to, to live in that space of faithfulness. Certainly true. May God make you, may he make me a faithful person. May we grow in that even now. Well, you can turn the page to uh, page nine there in your booklets if you're following along. Verse 27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. So we look at the positive. He says the positive is the fear of the Lord. Big, big message in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. It's the beginning. It's the place of recognizing that there is a God and God is good. He says that fear of the Lord, it prolongs days. But he says for the wicked, when these who are not right with God, their, their years will be shortened. So the contrast is kind of interesting. Hey, I pointed out just quickly that you could spend a bunch more time with it. It's interesting that he contrasts the fear of the Lord with the wicked. I mean, if we were looking for something that, you know, was black and white kind of thing in a logic way, we would have said, okay, righteous and the wicked, you know. But instead of saying the righteous, he says the fear of the Lord, this place of believing and knowing there is God, is now being contrasted with somebody who's wicked. That, that, that it is that place that we're looking at what that is and the contrast is there. We're contrasting days and years. He says, you know, for the fear of the Lord, it prolongs days. It prolongs days. But on the other hand, he says, the years of the wicked will be shortened. Now, let's just quickly reason this out. Does this mean that 
bad people die young and, and good people live long lives. No, that's not the way it works. That's not practical. It's not true. It's not biblical. Much of the Bible deals with that, but it's still an interesting thing. There is a sense that for the righteous, their days are rich, that, that the days they have are prolonged, and there's something about every day in that. But for the, the wicked, even if they have years, they're, they're emptied out. And there's a contrast here in, into just the, the faithfulness of God in the spaces, but the wicked being just shortened in the midst of that. And again, there is a contrast even in that, prolonged versus shortened, that it's not so much a comparison, but he's working in that and seeing just the incredible different contrast. But simply calling us to be those who would say, God, I want to believe that you're God. This place of recognizing that God is God, it prolongs days. It makes days worth living. It makes the, the, the days that we have to be lived well. And definitely calling us into that. But the wicked, it's as if the, their life just flies by in a place of not even able being entering into the days that they have and, and just passing so incredibly fast. Well, he continues. And we kind of begin to return to where we were. There is a little bit of a theme thrown through some of this at the end of chapter 10 here. But he says it in verse 28. He says that the hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. So again, we're looking at the righteous. Again, that's kind of been a, 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 the, this person that we've talked about already this evening that's made right with God. That's what righteousness is, that's found in Christ. He says the hope that the righteous has, that the hope that we have if we're right with God, it's good. It's an expectation of gladness. It's an expectation that that's what's laid before us. That, you know, Psalm 16 would say, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That we have an expectation of that which is to come, and it's going to be good. It's going to be absolute joy. It's going to be absolute just wonder. But, he says, for the, the, the wicked, he says, their expectation will perish. That which they long for, that which they, that this expectation they have, it will be emptied out. So kind of contrasting the hope of the righteous and the expectation of the wicked. Again, you might just compare it back up to verse 24 on that previous page where he says, the fear of the wicked will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. And we talked a little bit again about that. I'm just saying, okay, so for the wicked, everything they're afraid of is actually going to come. It's going to be worse than they actually imagine. On top of that, this tells us here, whatever expectation they had, whatever hope they had of, hey, it's all going to work out, you know, I think I'm going to make it to heaven even though I'm not a follower of Jesus, it's not going to work out well. If they're not right with God in Christ, whatever they lean their life upon will come crashing apart and fall apart. And again, I say that not as an unkindness, not as a place to, if that's you here this evening that doesn't know Jesus, or you're online that doesn't know Jesus, then we're not saying this to, to mock or make fun of. We're pleading with you to see just the desperate place that you're in, where he says, you know, whatever hope you have, like whatever dream you have of having everything work out in the end outside of Jesus, it's going to perish. Every hope that people had that isn't found in Jesus will go away. But if you know Jesus, you know, sometimes you just need to hear this again. It's going to be joy. That God says, I know what I'm thinking about when I think about you. I, I know what I'm doing. It's going to be a good future. It's going to be a hope. And, and you're going to get there and say, God, it's better than anything I've ever imagined. 
And just knowing that, kind of setting these parameters in your life, it gives us this place where, again, we see life the way that God would want us to see it. We see where we are, and we see where we're going. Well, in that, we continue, verse 29. It says, The way of the Lord is strength for the upright, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. So, this one's a little challenging to kind of put it together, but we'll say it this way. We're talking about the upright. We're talking at first about those who are doing the right thing, kind of connected to righteousness, that they're living those, those things. But he's saying the way of the Lord, the, the, the way that is walking in God's way for the upright, it's strength. It is strength. So the focus is for the upright who are walking in the way of the Lord, he says that would be strength for them. That would be wonder. In contrast to that, he says to those who are those who are living lives of iniquity, that those who are doing not the right thing, who are living lives outside of doing the right thing, he says they're workers of iniquity. They're ones who that's what they're actually doing. He says for them, destruction's coming. Destruction's coming. So again, it might just be helpful. I'm not doing this for all the Proverbs, obviously, but just kind of consider the contrast because they're kind of interesting to think it through. We're definitely contrasting upright versus iniquity. The person who's doing the right thing, they're living an upright life versus the one who is doing the wrong thing, who's living a life of iniquity and, and walking in those things. We're contrasting the way of the Lord and workers of iniquity. That's a big one, and I don't have time to dive into it, but I just would love for you just to think about it. It almost as if you could set these, as God says, these are two opposite things. On one side, it's someone who says, I just want to walk in God's ways. I'm just going to walk in the way of God. On the other side, it's working iniquity, that the works of the flesh, that the you know, when the Bible talks about it in Galatians, that, you know, the, the works of the, of the flesh are contrasted in one sense to the fruit of the Spirit, and just a very different thing, that there's this work that's taking place, but it's a destructive work. It, it's a destructive work. He says those workers of iniquity, it's going to be this place where for the, those who walk in the ways of God, it's, it's life-given. It gives you strength. But if you're working iniquity, that, that's going to empty it out. That, that destroys. That's a destroyer in our lives. And at this moment, we're not even talking about the end. We're not even talking about that hope. We're just talking about today. That he says, okay, if you're walking in the way of the Lord, that would be strength to you. I hope that's what's happening tonight. I hope in one sense that finds you right where you are, that you're trying to walk in God's way, that you're here tonight saying, God, I've been made right with God in Christ, and I'm trying to live in His way. I hope you just find strength in that. I hope that you just find yourself built up and strengthened. But if you're living a life of iniquity and, and working in that, then don't be surprised when it just comes crushing down, and instead of strength, there's emptiness in the midst of that, because that's what it does. And to see these as opposite things, and to say, okay, it should make perfect sense to say, I know which side of this I'd like to be on. You know, I want to I wanna be over here because what I recognize I need is strength that comes from God, that he would be the one that would work that in my life. Okay, you can turn the page and join me there in verse 30. It says, The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not inhabit the earth. 
So now again, we kind of gaze to those end places and we talk about the righteous, those who are made right with God by Christ. He says they'll never be removed. There, there is no end to this. There is no place where they find themselves you know, moved away from that. But, he says, the wicked, these who, who are not right with God in Christ, who are living these lives, he says they're not going to inhabit the earth. They don't get to move into this place where there's a new heavens and new earth, where righteousness dwells. I think about Jesus when he shared this on the Sermon on the Mount. He just simply said, blessed are the meek, because they're going to be the ones who inherit the earth. Those who have this surrender to God, and that's the picture of meekness, of saying yes to God and being made right his ways. He says, what you need to understand is what you see in the world is not the way it's all going to work out. Those who are living wicked lives, they are, they're going to lose it all. But those who are made right with God, we're gazing into this eternal future that is steadfast and strong and inheriting, inhabiting all that God has for us. How much we need that hope. How much we need to know that that, you know, is our hope so we can see it even in the midst of this day. Verse 31 gives it to us this way. It says, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. So the contrast here is, is gazing again at our words, and so he's going to talk about the mouth of the righteous. So this person who's right with God and what they say, what, what, what is coming out of their mouth, he says that is just going to be a fountain of wisdom. That because that person is right with God, what they say and what comes from them will be growing in wisdom. By God's grace, make it so. On the other hand, in contrast to it, he says the perverse tongue. The perverse tongue it's going to be cut out, that it's going to be, in that sense, removed. Again, the contrasts are fascinating. So we're talking about the mouth of the righteous and the perverse or wicked tongue that is in the midst of that. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain where the mouth of the wicked not only is not bringing forth good, it's going to face judgment. It's going to be, in that sense, removed. It's going to be, not only is it not giving, it's going to be taken, and it just causes us to see that place of it in that sense to value words. Keep going, because the next proverb says a little bit more in the same subject. Verse 32, it says, The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. So the lips, those that, the, the, the words and the way those who speak who are right with God, they, they know. They, they focus on speaking Hey, this is pleasing, this is right, this is what God wants, and that's what would flow out of righteousness with God in Christ. In contrast to it, this is the mouth of the wicked. The one who is this, has this wicked mouth, what flows out of their mouth is perverse. It's, it's not acceptable. It's the exact opposite of all that that is. And so he's kind of causing us to say, okay, we can see this in his practical outflow that what we say flows out of this right relationship with God or the wickedness that is there. Jesus would say it this way. In Luke 6, he says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's one of the most profound and simple realities. It's actually not a complicated one, but I'll tell you this. Few people own its reality. Few people own that you know, what flows out of their mouth so often is coming from where they are on the inside. So here's how it happens. 
someone gets into a disagreement. You know, maybe it's, you know, in the car next to them on the road or at the grocery store or in their home. And so often what will happen is, you know, maybe they end up saying something they shouldn't say. I know that doesn't happen to you guys. You guys are Wednesday night people, but those who aren't here. But so you would understand, hey, some of those people, they, all of a sudden they say something they shouldn't say. And what they have a propensity to do is to say, look what you made me do. Look what you made me say. Like it's your fault. It's your fault that these words came out of my mouth. So I'm sitting in my car at the stoplight and that person, you know, look what they made me do. It's their fault that I have now had these words flow out of my mouth. That's how most people really so often relate their words and that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when it comes out of your mouth, what you need to understand is it wouldn't have come out if it wasn't in your heart. The problem wasn't your circumstances, the problem was you. And to say, okay, wow, okay, I need to get right. I mean, because if it came out of my mouth, what, what, what comes out of my mouth comes from my heart. So there is that pause, that place of owning it and, and saying, well, that's what I need to deal with. God, forgive me. Get me right. So because I recognize it's me. It's my words that reveal where my heart is. And so again, he just says it, hey, this way, the lips of the righteous, they, they, when it flows out of righteousness, it's acceptable. But the wicked mouth, it's, it's perverse. But the source is that being right or wrong. It's pretty simple truth, hard truth, good truth, but one that you need to own in that place of just saying, okay, God, you know, it, it's not the world that's the problem. It's not the people around me that's the problem. It's me. And so if it's there, I need to get that right. And God does that. He's in the business of fixing wrong hearts and making them right. And so much we need that. So much we need to be a part of that. Well, if you're using the booklets, you can close uh, your number, your, your Proverbs 10 and open up Proverbs 11. We'll make our way just a little bit into Proverbs 11 this evening. And so just kind of joining us there as he kind of continues and begins to speak about these things. He gives it to us in verse 1 of Proverbs 11. He says, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. It's a pretty incredible proverb, by the way. Dishonest scales, that which is lying, cheating, just doing that which is wrong. He says that's the focus here that would be there. He says those are an abomination to the Lord. That God hates it. In contrast to that, the but, so that we see the contrast that's happening there, a just weight. That which is good and doing, handling things right. He says it is his delight. One of the fun things about this is just to recognize how serious God places this. I just want you to feel the contrast between that which God finds abominable and that which he delights in. Can I tell you, those are two of the most powerful descriptions of how God responds to a situation. That which is an abomination to God is considered one of the worst things, right? I mean, that's the, the word abomination has the idea of Boy, it's not just bad, it's horrendously bad. It's, it, it, it is an in God's sight an abomination. But that which is God's delight, I just want to tell you, there's not really much better than that, than to say God loves that. God delights in that. But the powerful thing that's found here in this proverb is it helps us to understand is how deeply God cares about, if I can say it this way, the normal events in our life. Yeah, when we're talking about a dishonest scale or a just weight, we're talking about how people are living their lives 
in their business or how they're conducting themselves in their lives, how they're working through their days. And God says, I love that. See, here's again the, the problem. Because we, you know, love God and we're sitting here at church tonight, sometimes we have this way of separating God from the whole of our lives. So if I said, so what would you think would be an abomination to God? Well, there would probably be things. I mean, like murder, you know, that, that would be, you know, God finds that abominable, you know, we'd say that's horrible, and we'd, we'd have this list of things that God says he hates. And then we'd say, what do you think God delights in? And we'd say, well, that would be church and prayer and worship songs, and I, I think he does. But sometimes we have this propensity of not seeing that God made you. He made life. He made it so that we could be involved in life and your regular life, the way that you spend your days, there are things that God hates. When, when there's cheating and unfairness and di- dishonest scale, God says, I, I hate that. But he delights when somebody just does the right thing, even in their job. I mean, again, I'm just telling you this because I'm speaking to somebody right now. You, you think, well, you know, God, I don't ever get to really do fun you know, things that God delights in. I mean, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary, you know. I, I work a job, and I, you know, I go to work, and, and, and surely God doesn't care about my job. He doesn't care about my business. And God says, if you do it right, and you're, and you, you, and you're just... I love that. I take pleasure in that. I delight in that. And I just want to tell you, God is more involved in your life than you've ever dreamed possible. And he cares about the little things and he, and he loves it when it's there. And obviously this should kind of cause us to say, well, I know which side I want to be on here. I mean, I don't want to be the one that God says, I, hate, I find that an abomination when you cheat on somebody, when you take advantage of somebody, when you're dishonest in the way that you deal with things, God says, I don't just, you know, kind of have a slight disfavor of that. I hate it. May God just move us away. So we say, okay, I recognize where I want to go. I recognize which side I want to be on. In one sense, that draws us to verse two, because some of that flows out of here. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. It says, when pride comes, that place which is self-exalting and all about me and pushing myself up, it says, that actually brings shame, which is kind of a funny thing, because the very idea of pride so often is an eschewing of shame, not wanting to be shamed. It says, but it is going to be shamed. When you exalt yourself, that always is going to bring shame. On the other side of it, where there's wisdom, where there's this humbling of yourself, where there's this place of saying, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm putting myself before God, I'm humbling myself under the mighty hand of God. He says, that's the right way to live. That's wisdom. That's beautiful. So much could be said here because God would speak this over and over, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That he says, I, I, if you're going to let pride and the self-exaltation come in there, that's going to be a shame to you. But where you say, God, I'm going to humble myself and, and, and place myself in a place of doing this well, he says, that'll be that which I exalt. Wow. Verse 3, the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. So he draws us again to see this place. And so now we're really contrasting this idea of integrity. The integrity of the upright. You might want to just put a circle around all of that, if you will, but the focus of it is on integrity. So this person is trying to do the right thing, the person who is right with God and they're flowing out of this place of integrity says, that will actually guide them. Being a person of integrity will guide what they do and how they do that. 
in contrast, the perversity, and that's the opposite of, of integrity, this place of doing the wrong thing and manipulative and deceitful, is that perversity that flows out of unfaithfulness, it's actually destructive. It's actually destructive. Now, this is actually really just practical and powerful thing. He says, okay, here's this place. If you're right with God and you're trying to be an upright person, just being a person of integrity will so often help you navigate the world in which you live because you just try to do the right thing. You just try to be the person that you're supposed to be, that you allow that integrity to guide you. See, so often that's exactly what we need. It'll be that which would direct our steps. But where there is perversity that really flows out of unfaithfulness, not only does it not guide, it destroys. It unearths and, and moves everything away. C.S. Lewis said integrity, described integrity well, where he simply said integrity is doing the right thing when no one is looking. It's a good, pretty good description. Integrity is like, I'm just doing the right thing. I'm just trying to be a good man or a good woman. Even if nobody else notices, that's integrity. And, and what it simply tells us is so often, just trying to do that, just trying to be that person that we're supposed to be, it gives us guidance. It draws us into the very things that God has for us. It's practical in that sense and entirely real. Wow. Hey, let's do one more. There in verse 4, it says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So he looks at this whole place. He thinks about things that he's laying out to us. He says, well, riches don't do this. That when we think about what's there, riches is the negative thing, the focus that's there. He says they don't profit in, in, in the day of, 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 of wrath. That money can't actually save you. Money can't actually rescue you from the judgment that's coming. But righteousness, being right with God, being right with God in Christ, that's a good description again of righteousness. It's that that rescues us from death. It is so simple, but I'm telling you right now, it is one of the most important things that we need to understand. Because we live in a world, especially here in America, that's for some people Money's everything. Money can answer every problem. Money can get you out of, uh, you know, places. It can rescue you from, you know, problem people. It can rescue you from problem situations. And, and sometimes people get into the place of just really believing, you know, that even just having things and those things, that that's going to save them. But in one sense, God just looks at the whole ineptness of money. It's like, that's not going to work really well. So you die. doesn't matter how much money you have in your account doesn't no matter how big your 401k is, doesn't matter how much, how big your house is, how many cars you have, none of that has any bearing on your, on your, on your soul. None of that brings any rescue. It has no profit. It has zero help. So on that day where you're facing the wrath, that's, you know, you're there, all that you've lived your whole life for has no bearing whatsoever. Zero profit. It's a scary thing. I wish, I wish we could say, boy, in this I'm glad this is like a comical thing that nobody's actually going to be there. I'm just going to tell you, there's going to be a bunch of people that are there who've lived their whole life for money and things and houses and cars. And they're going to die. And they're going to stand before God. And on that day, everything they've invested their whole life into amounts to a big zero. Has no profit. Doesn't, doesn't help at all. But if you're right with God, if you're right with God, which... The Bible's really clear about the righteousness of God is revealed in Christ. The only way that happens is in Jesus. But if you're right with God, 
that's going to deliver you. So that when we die, there is this incredible wonder that we're rescued because of Christ. We, we have this incredible, solid place that we're rescued because of Him, and that's meant to hold us. You know, I think about things that we've talked about this evening. I think about the realities that are there, the, the things that are a part of it. And I think about even just how we began, where I talked to you about it in Jeremiah 29, where it says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And certainly much of what we've talked about is in that framework this evening. Many of the Proverbs have this idea where God says, I just need you to not look just at the present moment. I need you to not just think about today and the pain maybe you're going through or some of the difficult spaces you are in because they were about to go into an incredibly difficult space. But God says, I know what I'm doing. And you have a future. And you have a hope. And I want to tell you, our hope is in Christ, this place where he would tell us, much like he began in chapter 10, verse 24, he says, all of your desires are going to be fulfilled. That everything, that the longings of your heart, they're coming. Where he would tell us that the expectation of the righteous is joy. And so to give us that place where it would do that for us, that changes things. I mean, if you can feel this this evening, there's, there's something about our lives that could navigate the world which you and I live in, and we would recognize, you know, my righteousness in Christ, it delivers me from death. I have this expectation, I have this hope, and I have this life that does everything for me. It would hold me in power. But if you're outside of that, then nothing you have will work of any good. If you're outside of a relationship with God in Christ, then it finds you in a place desperately needing to be rescued because nothing else will save. And as, as, as clear as it is, that wisdom, having that reality, it actually does navigate the way you do your life. It gives you strength. And so much of what we've talked about this evening is calling us into that space where we would be those who in Christ, we'd say, okay, I get it. I get it, that God, God's wisdom is, is looking past these moments to give us a future, to give us a hope, and our need is to be able to believe that, to be able to believe that and recognize, even in some of the hard spaces, that He is working and it's going to be good, better than we've ever imagined. I draw your attention to that because in many ways it's what we need to know, but we're going to close this evening in taking communion. It's the last uh, Wednesday night of the month, and so it's a time where we give you the opportunity to take communion, to recognize Christ, to recognize what He did. And I've tried to say it throughout the evening, but let me say it again. Jesus' death on the cross, His giving His life for us is the only way to be made right with God. And if you're right with God tonight, it is in Christ. So communion becomes this place where we get to come and say, this is what stabilizes my life. This is what secures my hope. This is what gives me a future and a hope. This is that which cannot be taken away. This is joy. This is, this is all of my desires that will never go away because of what Jesus is for me. So we want to invite you to take communion and to make that a focus tonight. So here's how this works. Wednesday night when we take communion, we do it just a tiny bit different. Most of you are aware, but one more time a reminder. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to draw us into this space. And then Pastor Phil's going to lead us in a couple of worship songs. 
as we take those worship songs, we're going to place the communion elements up here in the, in the front of the church. We're going to put one here and one over here. And we're just going to invite you, anytime you're ready, in the midst of those two songs, come up and take communion. Come up, which in taking communion, you're celebrating, you're remembering what Jesus is and was, did for our lives. And so you're just going to take, take communion, remember Christ. You can take communion up here. You can take it back to your chairs. You can stand. You can kneel. However this works for you, it's meant to be a personal space for you just celebrating the wonder that Christ is for you. When you're done taking communion, just go back to your chair and, and, and you can continue singing with us and worshiping with us. We'd love to have you do that. One of the benefits of our new chairs, by the way, if you haven't figured it out, and the chairs right in front of you, there's these little squares uh, right at the edges of them. Those are communion cup holders. So when you're done with your communion cup, you can just plop it in that little square so that you don't have to sit there and hold it and spill it or do any of those crazy things, which we'd obviously like to avoid. So again, it's one of those spaces where, again, just you're invited in the midst of this evening to put Jesus there, to recognize the righteousness of God in Christ and to find that to be that which stabilizes your world, that stabilizes you this evening into believing that all those desires that God has put in our hearts, they're going to be fulfilled. That there's not anything that, that the good things that are there, they're coming better than you can ever imagine because of Jesus. So let's pray for that and ask that God would draw us into that. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for wisdom that washes over our lives. I thank you that many of these things we probably knew. And yet, Lord, maybe we needed to see it again, this, this contrast of the life lived well and the life lived poorly, both in its practical applications in our day-to-day -day world as well as our eternal hope. God, help us to see that. And I pray right now that we'd be right with you. If there's anybody here in this room right now, if there's anybody online that's outside of this and, and, and just the scariness that we've tried to portray this evening from these passages, it's terrifying. It's destruction. It's their worst fears are coming upon them. God, would you rescue them now? We pray for just the, the wonder of Christ. We pray for the salvation that's found in Jesus. We pray for any that are not right with you, that they would come and believe upon Jesus and they'd be saved. God, would you draw them right now? God, I speak to many this evening that are right with you. And yet so many times we, we find our, our, our mind clouded, wisdom not flowing, and, and not being able to see with clarity the things that you lay before us. I pray that tonight as we take communion, we would gaze upon just this unshakable foundation that's in you. Even if the world, just if the rains come and the winds blow and, and shake, we have an everlasting foundation that cannot be taken, a hope that cannot be removed from us. And it's a hope that's going to be fulfilled with incredible joy. And it's because of what you have done in making us right. God, I pray that tonight as we celebrate communion, that would be upon us. And in the midst of this evening, we would know it and you would cause us to just feel just the stability and strength that you are to us, Jesus. Pray that you draw us into that right now as we worship and take communion together this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. You've invited us to come 
You've reassured us with your love As a family Cherishing your presence, Lord We boldly Through the window of your word We come to understand your worth In humble majesty Revealing in the face of Christ Your glory
once was lost I walked away The road was dark I could not see My hope was gone The pain was real But your mercy You saw my steps You felt my fears You heard my cries You caught my tears Arms open wide You ran to me With your mercy Your your mercy I stand before my King and bow my heart to sing you save me you raised me you died so I could live no greater love than this your gave me life beyond the grave my deepest shame is cast away you sing a song that covers me it's your mercy your your mercy I stand before my King and bow my heart to sing you save me you raised me you died so I could live no greater love than this your mercy your
You died so I could live. No greater love than this. Your mercy. Your mercy. I stand before my King and bow my heart to sing. You saved me. You raised me. You died so I could live. No greater love than this. Your mercy. Your Lord, I think about our study tonight, the many times we thought about the righteous and what it means to be righteous. And Lord, as it was pointed out, the, the only way that we ever could be called righteous is because of what Jesus has done, your work in our lives. Lord, it was an act of mercy. It was an act of grace that you have made us a sinful people. You have made us righteous. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.